Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another day of Bible study. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are continuing our study in the book of Romans. So yesterday uh, we were able to go through verses one through seven. Today we're going to look at verses eight through 17. And just want to remind you, some of this is overlap. So on Sunday, we're, we're covering a major theme. And then throughout the week in our Bible study, we're going to go more verse by verse, just so that we can have a better understanding of the scripture. But that also means we're going to overlap a little bit. So yesterday, uh, I covered verses one through seven. But on Sunday, I had already done verse one. So we did a little bit of overlap there. Today, where we conclude in verses 16 and 17, I spent the bulk of my time on Sunday, my message on those verses. So I'll do a quick recap of it, but I probably won't be as thorough because, again, I'm, I'm assuming you've been a part of our Sunday message. So I will encourage you, though, whether you're watching this or listening on our podcast, if you are not engaging on Sunday, that would be a really good resource for you to do, to listen to the message. That way you're getting both layers of this. Sunday is, is major themes throughout the week. It's kind of verse by verse covering all the themes. So I just want to dive right in. So let's get going. So in verse Eight. And if for those that are watching, I'll have this on the screen. Uh, in verse 8, Paul continues and says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And he has just had such a pastor's heart. Uh, I love this about Paul. Paul really was a pastor. He was a missionary in the sense that he went from place to place, starting churches, raising up leaders, and then empowering them, and then going to the next community to, to start another church. But you see in his writing very much a pastor's heart. What do I mean by that? So I'm a pastor, so I relate to him. His heart was for people. He really loved them. Uh, one of the, the passages that always touches my heart is when Paul talks about some of the struggles of his life, and he, he really does in detail tell about some just horrific things that he experienced from abuse and violence and uh, just rejection of people and the sacrifices that he made. But he includes in that, he says, and on top of all of that, uh, like my concern for the Christians, my concern for you, my concern for the believers, that that was so heavy on his heart. And, and I relate to that. And, and so today's uh, teaching, it might be, it might, I don't, I, I have credibility with you, so I don't think you're going to feel this, but it might sound a little bit self-serving because I'm going to share just like the dynamic of a pastor's heart. But I want you to know that it's important for you to know that uh, for whatever church you attend, whether it's the tree church where I pastor or it's another church, there's this beautiful, can be a beautiful relationship between you and, and your pastor or pastoral staff. And, but he just begins by saying, I, I thank God for you. He takes time to, to celebrate them. Here's what I would encourage all of you to do. Take time to do that. Take time to thank God for the people he's brought into your life. For me as a pastor, I do that often. Uh, I thank God for who you are and the fact that I get the privilege of pastoring uh, the church that I'm connected to, the Tree Church. Um, but I, I want to encourage you. Why? Because that keeps your heart in the right place. It, it keeps your mind focused on the right things. It's really easy to nitpick. It's really easy to find fault. But if you will take a posture of thanksgiving to, what God, to who God has placed in your life, I promise you those relationships will be healthier. If you're frustrated consistently with a spouse or a sibling or a friend or a coworker or a child or a parent or a pastor, whatever, whoever it might be, if you change your posture to thank God for them, I promise you it will impact your relationship for the better. God will soften your heart and give you a new perspective. And so he just says, I just want you to know, I'm thanking God for you. And even just to let you know, your reputation is spreading throughout the world, which is really cool. So we know in the biblical times uh, at this, when this was written, all roads 
led to Rome. It, that meant that kind of figuratively and in a certain extent, literally. Uh, so we know that when Christianity spread, it would have got to Rome quickly. But there was such a foundation there that the news of this community was spreading throughout the world. So Paul would hear these testimonies. Have you heard about the church in Rome? And he's just he's celebrating them. In verses nine and ten, he says he goes on and says this for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And so once again, he's just reiterating, I'm praying for you. I'm consistently praying for you. I want to come and visit you. And and we're going to talk about that, the resistance that he faced in that process. But he's just saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Now, again, I'm just going to reiterate. Can you imagine the health of any group that dedicates themselves to praying for each other. So think about this in friendships. If you have a friend and you just said, hey, you want to make a commitment that every day we'll pray for each other or or maybe a marriage. Every day I'm going to pray for you. And uh, so maybe you pray together in the morning, maybe pray together at night. Then maybe just our purpose throughout the day to just lift your spouse up in prayer. What about a family that would do this? Um, how about, I know you can't always do this in, in certain coworker environments, but, but what if you were able to, to pray for your coworkers, pray with your coworkers? Um, what if you were able to do this as a church? Can you imagine a church that just everyone prayed for each other? I, I know my church, we do that, so it's not a theory for me, but can you imagine the health of it? And this is Paul's heart. He says, man, I'm, I'm not lying when I say I pray for you consistently without ceasing. And, uh, and so we know that God honored that. He goes on then in verse 11 and 12. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And what he acknowledges is the potential for this dynamic, beautiful relationship between leader and follower and follower and leader. And this is what I was alluding to a little bit earlier that I want to talk about the, the pastoral relationship with people. Paul's heart was, he says, I want to come so that I can be a blessing to you and I want you to be a blessing to me. In a church dynamic, this is absolutely necessary. So from my heart as the lead pastor of our church is I truly want to be a blessing to our church. I think you sense that. I'm try the best I'm able to be transparent, and I try the best I'm able to be a person of genuine love for our church. I work hard at that. I would not say that I've always had a soft heart in my life, but I've worked hard at that in the sense that I consistently allow the Holy Spirit to challenge me and to, to bring that conviction in my life and that empowerment to change. And so I want to be a benefit to the church. I want to encourage people. I want to love them. But I hope that you feel the same responsibility to our church, to the church that you attend. Um, Sometimes we can put a higher bar of expectation on a leader than we would give ourselves. So we would look at a pastor and think, well, a pastor should do that because he's a pastor. I'm going to drop a theological truth on you. Do you know that the same standard that a pastor is called to, you're called to? You might have a difference of uh, the specifics of your calling in the sense that like I have a specific thing to lead our church, to to preach consistently. So I'm the primary teacher, but the standard of life that we're called to is the exact same. 
we're called to mimic Christ. I'm called to be holy as Christ is holy, the same way that you are. I'm called to allow the fruit of the, the Holy Spirit to be manifested in my life the exact same way that you are. I'm called to forgive the same way that you are. I'm called to love the same way that you are. For, for th- this is the way that all people will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. That was not written to pastors. That was written to all Christians. So we have the exact same calling. So I want to be an encouragement to you, but you should have the heart that you want to be encouragement to both me, the other pastors, the staff, but also the fellow members of the church. So how can you be an encouragement to them? We've already named one. You can pray for each other, but you can also just choose to love them. You can choose to love uh, each other and give forgiveness to each other. You can choose to think the best. You can choose to be purpose in your encouragement. I, I consistently get letters from people that just thanking me for what I do. I'll tell you, every single one of those matters. People will give me gifts at times, and I'm not trying to recruit you to give me gifts, but people's generosities, it, their generosity matters to me because it's them just saying, I want to touch your heart, and that's my heart toward them. And so we, if we are committed to this, we can make the environment healthier and healthier. So let me just say it now more bluntly, the negative. If you don't commit yourself to that, you will open your heart to be deceived by Satan and you can actually start to work against the health of a church. And so obviously we want to avoid that. And so Paul's heart is, he says, I want to be an encouragement to you. I want you to be an encouragement to me. I want to learn from you. I want you to learn from me. And I'll tell you, do you know one of the greatest teachers in my life has been the people of our church? To be able to just connect to their stories, to discover what their needs are. The Holy Spirit has really used that to soften my heart, to open my mind, to be better at ministry. And I pray that the things that I've learned that I've been able to pass on to you so that you can learn too. So again, I don't wanna just keep belaboring this, but there's this beautiful dynamic when we have a heart that's open that God can use to be an encouragement to each other. He goes on then in verse 13 and he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Here's what we don't know in this. We don't know specifically what prevented Paul. It's possible we know that at that time there were Christians that were expelled from certain areas. So there's a possibility that's what he's talking about. I don't think it is though. Uh, So again, this is my opinion, but I wanna give you the reason why. In the book of Acts, what we see oftentimes is Paul was specifically led by the Holy Spirit of where he would go and where he wouldn't go. So sometimes he just sensed it in his spirit that he should go to a new city, a new community. And then other times he said, I desire to go here. If my memory serves me right, I remember at one point, he, I think he said that about Asia. I wanted to go there and specifically the Holy Spirit said no. He was prevented by the Spirit. So sometimes that was through a prophetic word. Sometimes that was through different situations. But we know that he was deeply in tune to the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. So when he had a check in his spirit, he didn't go somewhere because the Holy Spirit was preventing him. So let's just pause and let's acknowledge a couple things about this. One is the, the reality that God's timing is oftentimes different than ours. Uh, we can look at something and make the assumption because maybe in and of itself it's not sin. And maybe in and of itself, typically it's a good thing that God would obviously want us to do it. But the possibility is maybe God doesn't want us to do some things. Maybe he wants us to have a different timing on it. So what I mean by that, there are times you think, okay, I want to speak truth to this person right now. Maybe God has different timing. And so we need to pray and seek the Holy Spirit that he might guide us 
so that our timing is in line with his because you don't know where someone is mentally and emotionally. So you might want to use that way. So God's timing is different. Here's the other part, though, is Paul was so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he was able to be accurately led by the Holy Spirit in his timing. This has to be our desire. This has to be really a practice in our life where we are daily, if not hourly, if not minute by minute, second by second, where we're going to the Holy Spirit before we do things and saying, what do you want me to do? I have an open heart. Show me what you want me to do. When we have that rhythm, the Holy Spirit will not ignore an open heart. He will speak to us. And and so in this, Paul says, I was prevented, but now I'm able to come. The Holy Spirit opened up the possibility. Another reason why I don't think what he's saying about being prevented was because Christians had been expelled is because I know that that our God is a God of miracles. Uh, There is no legal prevention that can thwart the the will of God. And so in God's timing, he opens doors, he makes it happen. And so Paul said, I've always wanted to come, now I'm able to come. He goes on in verses 14 and 15, and he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. Now, (laughs) I want to clarify this, because I remember even the first time I read that, I was like, ooh, that's harsh. Uh, For us, barbarians has a very negative connotation because we use it as a slang term to really describe someone that is uh, not real civilized, someone that maybe does stuff that's inappropriate, kind of rough. We're like, oh, that person's a barbarian. In this culture, literally, you were, they considered you were either Greeks or barbarians. So it's just a descriptive way. Um, it would be like saying an Americans and non-Americans. It wasn't meant as an insult per se. Uh, so it was just a descriptive term. So he goes, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Uh, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in, Ro- in Rome. And even then, the wise and the foolish, we would look at that and, and see that as a negative But really, it's just Paul and the way that he wrote and the way that they communicated a little bit more blunt, saying some people who are of faith that he says, I want to speak to you because you are already people of faith. You're the wise. Those that are foolish, those who are yet of faith that don't understand the truths, I want to speak to you. So I want to speak to Greeks. I want to speak to non-Greeks. I want to speak to those who are in faith, to those who are not yet in faith. And, And I want to just kind of point this out. His desire is to speak to a group of people, many of whom are already believers. So this letter that he's uh, written to uh, the church in Rome is to a church, to believers. Why is it that Paul would want to come and talk to them about this topic of grace? Because he's about to flow right into it. You know why? Because it's important for us to have clarity and to be reminded if you, I don't know that anyone would ever push back on this, but if anyone were to ever come to me and say, Matthew, why do you talk so often about grace? You know why? Because every single week, people are going to be in a different state of clarity or, or uh, unclarity, and I want them to have clarity. I want them to understand clearly what the message means, but also we need to be reminded of it. Uh, so this past Sunday, I spoke on grace again. Do you know how many people came to me or sent me messages and thanked me for it? And, and people that have been a part of our church for many years, and some of them said a phrase like this, I've never understood it before, I do now. I never embraced it before, I, and now I do. And these are people I know have heard me talk about it numerous times. That's why we keep reminding. We keep preaching the gospel, and this was Paul's heart. I want to come to you because I want to help all of you to be reminded, and I want you to have clarity. And we all know this. When we're in different seasons of life, we hear things differently. 
when, when we're in, in sometimes in greater need, all of a sudden we have a sensitivity. Sometimes when things are going really well, we have a different sensitivity. And so God uses those moments to speak truth to us. Uh, so let me just wrap up in verses 16 and 17. This is what I taught on Sunday. I'll go verse 16. So Paul immediately flows. So I'm, I'm eager to preach to you guys. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But he tells him, he says, guys, this message that I'm coming to you to proclaim, it's one that's rooted in my own failure. Uh, the gospel message, at the core of the gospel message is that we are broken by sin. We are evil uh, to our core unless God saves us. And Paul had a, even a personal side to that. His personal testimony is that he killed Christians. He arrested Christians. He persecuted the church. That's a part of his story. So every place he went, he would share, this is who I once was. This is who Christ has now made me. And we could very easily be embarrassed about that. There are many people that don't want to talk about their past. There are people that will even say that. They'll say, there is something I've done in my past that I constantly think about. I don't want to ever discuss. I don't tell another soul about it because we're ashamed of it. And hear me, I'm not saying you need to, but Paul just said, he goes, I want you to know I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because this good news, it is the power that saves. It's the only thing that saves. There's literally nothing else that can save you. If you are broken by sin and you're trying any other method, just know you're wasting your time. You are trying to find another pathway that doesn't lead toward salvation. And he goes, the message of the gospel that Jesus saves, it's the power to save for everyone who believes. Your past or present neither qualifies or disqualifies you. That's what I said on Sunday. It's, it's available to everyone. The only thing that matters is for all those who believe. Will you believe Jesus? Will you trust him? And, and the depth of that is that when you truly believe Jesus at the core of who you are, it's going to change your life because you're going to trust him in other areas. But will you trust him? That's what he requires. And Paul goes, not just for the Jews, because that's what initially the message of God was for. It was only for the Jews. Other people could become Jews. Uh, so there was a way for them to be converted into Judaism, to be circumcised and to follow the law. But it was for the Jews. Now he says, you don't have to follow those religious behaviors. It's available to everyone. But it's important to understand. It's to the Jews first. The Jews were the ones that God initially called. They're God's chosen people. We did not replace the Jews. We were grafted into that relationship according to scripture. So the Jews are still God's chosen people. It doesn't matter if a percentage-wise, the majority of the Jews don't currently serve God. They're still his chosen people. And one day he's going to do something uniquely special and draw more and more of them. Their eyes will be open. But God has not given up on the Jews. And the reason that's good news, that means he's not giving up on us who are grafted into that. And then the last verse we'll look at for today's study is verse 17. He says, for in it, so in the process of saving sinners, the gospel message, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he goes, in it, God is proven right. The righteousness of God is revealed. So God, when we think of righteousness, it means us in right standing with God, but God is already right, righteous. He is right. And so it's just proving that God is right, that his ways are just. So somebody could look at it and go, well, that's not fair for a person who sins to not be punished. But the reason why God has proven right and proven just is because our sins were punished. He just took our place. That was the gift he gave us. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be put back in right relationship with God. And so he took our place. God has proven just. God's also proven wise. Because it, when we look at it, if God's ultimate goal is, is sanctification, 
to take us from brokenness into total redemption, sanctification, to be made holy, to be, to be set apart, to become more like Christ. The only method that works is grace upon grace upon grace. Us digging down deep inside of us and building up willpower, it doesn't work. We need God. We need His Holy Spirit to work. The only way we can have the Holy Spirit inside of us is to be forgiven so that we can be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it is the only thing that works. So his righteousness is revealed. It's what works um, and where it's revealed from faith for faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ begins that relationship that will lead to deeper levels of faith. Paul, who sacrificed everything, who walked in obedience, who gave up everything to the point that he gave up his own life in martyrdom, the reason he was able to do that is he knew this principle. This is what this whole study is about. There's only one way to approach God. It's always going to be faith. You're saved by faith. You walk in obedience because of faith. You sacrifice because of faith. You give up everything because of faith. You experience life because of faith. Faith is the key. Trusting in God that he is who he says he is. And then the last powerful statement that you have to memorize, he says, for it is written, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith faith. Here's an exercise you could try. Take out the last word and just put a blank line there and just try to put in there everything else that you try. The righteous shall live by willpower. The righteous shall live by knowledge. The righteous shall live by discipline. And what you'll discover is all of it fails. It's a, it's a system that's destined to fail. The righteous shall live by faith is a system that will always work. You know why? Because if you have a lack of faith and you sin, do you know how you become righteous? Is faith. Faith is always the step that takes you closer to Jesus. So everything else can potentially take you away from Jesus. Faith always takes you toward Jesus. So there's only one way for the righteous to live. The righteous shall live by faith. And this is what we're going to continue to study. So this upcoming Sunday is going to be a very difficult message in the sense that it's politically incorrect. We're going to talk about some things in our culture that culture says is okay, that God calls sin. Uh, it has potential to, for people to be very upset at the message, but the foundation of understanding it will be faith. Faith is the foundation to trust God, that his ways are best even when it doesn't seem so to us individually or us as a culture. So everyone, I hope this was a blessing to you. Again, feel free to share these teachings so that can be an encouragement to other people. And I hope if you're not connected to a church that you'll connect to our church in this study. And uh, I love you guys and I hope to see you on Sunday. God bless.